0: Hi everyone, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hilliard. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast, and subscribe to his newsletter at DJ So let's get to it.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 156 of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I'm super fortunate to interview Dr. John Demartini. Dr. Demartini is a professional speaker, an internationally published author, a global educator, and a business consultant whose clients range from Wall Street financers, financial planners, and corporate executives to healthcare professionals, actors, and sports personalities. Dr. Demartini has studied over 30,000 books across all defined academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages, which he shares online and in person on stage to over a hundred countries. Dr. Demartini is also the author of over 40 self-development books, including number one bestseller, The Breakthrough Experience, which has been translated into over 36 different languages. Dr. Martini's mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. I was recently um, recommended the book, The Values Factor by Dr. G, Dr. John D. Martini uh, from my mentor, Sam Smith, who's on the show last week. Whenever Sam recommends a book, I am eager to get into it because he always has great recommendations. And The Values Factor was certainly up there with some of the best books that I've ever read. Something that I've really been interested on is the idea of values. Where do they come from? Uh, how come everybody has different values? How do you create your values? And this book really, breaks it everything down on, on on all things you need to know about values. And the quote I think that really sticks out was, quote, our lives don't lie. Where we spend our time, money, and devote our thoughts is our guide to determine what our living values are. The concept of a living hell is one in which you live in opposition to your values and that kind of sets the table for how dr john DiMartini goes about setting your values there's a difference between what you think your values are what you maybe want them to be and what they actually are and dr john just breaks it down to show show me about what does your schedule look like what does the calendar look like where do you spend your money what do you think about those are the things that are actually your values right now that doesn't mean you can't change them but that's kind of the roadmap to getting started So, we kind of started the uh, conversation today talking about the 13 questions to create your values. So, if you're trying to figure out what are my current values, Dr. John has 13 questions for you to fill out, reflect on, journal on, and think about in order to create your list. After that, we talked about the common values amongst high achievers. We talked about what to do when your partner has different values than you. I think a lot of you guys are really into fitness as I am, and some of you may struggle with your spouse or your partner not being as into fitness as you are, or maybe vice versa. And sometimes that can be a roadblock because you guys see and value the gym and fitness very differently. And Dr. John Demartine has some good advice for that. After that, we talked about what about what about when your values don't align with societal norms? We talked about the difference between passions and values. Then Dr. DeMartini talks about how uh, a passion story about how a dog helped make $25 million to a woman who um, ended up going through the values factor. Really cool and fun story towards the end of the conversation. And at the end, we close down with seven daily journal questions that can help you live a fulfilling life. As I said, Dr. DeMartini is a man of so much knowledge, so much experience. Uh, he lives on a ship that travels around the world where he's constantly um, giving advice, doing seminars, writing books. He's just a very active individual who has done a lot in his life. I think there's so much wisdom in this episode, and you guys will pick up on it. Uh, if you guys do enjoy the conversation, I also encourage you to pick up the book, The Values Factor. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you get books. It's a really great read. And as always, if you enjoyed this show, be sure to leave a rating, review, and refer it to a friend, as that helps the show grow tremendously and puts a massive smile on my face. Thank you guys for tuning in. Enjoy this episode with Dr. John DeMartini. Let's go. Dr. John D. Martini, welcome to the My Fit podcast. Uh, it's an absolute honor to have you on the show. I've really enjoyed researching you and reading your book The Values Factor leading up to this conversation and I'm just really excited for the value that you're going to bring to the show today. so thank you for taking the time even though you are uh, overseas and very busy doing other other responsibilities. so thank you.
0: Well, thank you for having me appreciate it you're the, the you're the one I can thank so thank you.
1: <laughs> awesome. So you're an extremely high achiever, high thinker. Uh, you're traveling all the time. You're, you've are you read over 30,000 books I've heard. I'm curious to kind of kick this conversation off before we get into the values factor. What is something that's very top of mind for you right now? What is something you're very passionate about, obsessed with right now that's got you thinking uh, in this day and age right now?
0: Well, it varies uh, some day to day, but uh... I've been fascinated on the relationship between the mind and the body for all these years. I've been lecturing for 49 years, and uh, this is my 50th year, so that has been a cornerstone of a lot of what I do, and I'm, I'm interested in how human perceptions, the ratios of perceptions affect transmitters, regulators, modulators, hormones, and how that affects epigenetics and gene expression and physiology and Mm. what our symptoms are actually speaking to us, what they say. I've been fascinated by, I really believe the body is a feedback system, a homeostatic feedback system designed to whisper to us and sometimes shout at us to guide us to authenticity. And whenever we're not being authentic, Because we're judging and putting people on pedestals or pits and minimizing ourselves or exaggerating ourselves and inauthentically expressing ourselves, we create autonomically induced symptoms to get us back to our authentic selves and help us see the unconscious information that we're overlooking and allow us to be able to maximize our performance. I think it's an evolutionary process guided to make sure that we maximize our fitness in our journey. So I think our body, we've misinterpreted symptoms and they're actually on the way, not in the way once they're properly interpreted.
1: And I think that has a lot of ties within the values factor, really living your own values. And we're going to get into all that um, first. So the book came out in 2013, Dr. John. I'm curious what spurred, I like to ask authors that come on the show, what spurred the idea of I need to write this book or was there an aha moment? Tell me about right before 2013 when you decided to write the book.
0: Well, I've been studying uh, human behavior since 1972-3, and I did discover in my early 20s how significant human values are, because they determine how we perceive, decide, and act, and they determine how we make decisions. So every decision we make is based on what we believe will give us in that moment with the data that we've gathered. Uh, the most advantage of our disadvantage to ourselves at that moment. And so the hierarchy of our values dictates our destiny. And of course, as our values change, our destinies change, and our life's journey is a summation of those destinies. And so that's crucial. And the reason I wrote the book is because I had accumulated um, quite a bit of information on that topic. And people kept asking me, when are you going to write a book on that? And I had been teaching it and putting it in workshops and discussing it and written thousands of pages relating to that topic. But I hadn't formalized it into just a book. But then Penguin um, offered, said, look, we'd like you to put this book together. So we did. And, uh, but it wasn't until much later. But I've been lecturing on that and gathering and clinically working with that for all these years. And when you ask people about their values, most people will give you social idealisms. They'll give you what they think it should be instead of what their life demonstrates. And I have no interest in what people say. I'm interested in what they actually live. And I'm interested in what their life demonstrates. So I created a value determination process to help narrow down more objectively what is really important. If you ask somebody, how many of you want to be financially independent? Everybody puts their hands and feet up in the air. And then I said, but how many are? And all the hands go down. And I said, so many people have a fantasy about what they want. And they're living in a moral hypocrisy because they're not living it. And so I'm not interested in what you say you want. I'm interested in what your life demonstrates is important to you to determine what's really valuable to you. And that's where I differ. And I don't try to impose an idealism about how it should be on people, which is guaranteed to be self-defeating. I'm interested as individually, your unique set of values so you can structure your life with mastery. And and, then, because whatever's really highest on your value, you spontaneously are inspired to do and you're more fulfilled there. And giving yourself permission to go on that path is, most people don't give themselves that permission. So the book is designed to help people master their life in all areas of life with the understanding of how values play a, a significant role in the pursuit of something deeply meaningful.
1: So, Dr. John, I've been doing this podcast thing for about three years now, and I've been talking to a lot of high achievers and have a lot of conversations that are kind of similar in line with, with some different fields. And a lot of the uh, genesis of, of some of these ideas come back to awareness and how important awareness is, and then also how many people just don't have general awareness. Now, as I was reading your book, um, I kept coming back to that idea of, in order to establish values, in order to live in alignment, to do all these things and and... and and, and pursue excellence. You need to have a pretty high degree, or some sort of a degree of awareness. Where does your mind go when you talk about awareness? Either creating more of it, not have, having enough of it, or just the topic in general.
0: Well, that's a great term, and I think that is crucial. You know, when you are walking down the street and you run into somebody, or walking a mall, let's say. It's not it's not easy to avoid, you know, projecting, evaluating people. So you'll you'll look and you'll go, Oh, that person looks like they're more fit than me, or less fit than me, or more successful than me, or less successful than me, or more wealthy than me, or less wealthy than me, or more uh, intelligent to me or less intelligent or more spiritually aware or less spiritually aware or more stable in relationships or more socially connected or whatever. And we tend to compare ourselves to other people instead of comparing our own daily actions to our own highest priorities. And we tend to put people on pedestals or pits. If we put them on a pedestal, we'll tend to minimize ourselves to them. If we put them in a pit, we'll tend to exaggerate ourselves to them. And anytime we minimize or exaggerate ourselves, we're not being ourselves. So every time we judge, we're not being ourselves. And then we ask, well, why are they judging? Well, if you infatuate with somebody, admire them. It's because you're conscious of the upsides with a subjective bias. And you're unconscious and unaware of the downsides. So you're really dividing your full awareness, your mindfulness into halves. And if you're resenting somebody, you're conscious of the downside, unconscious of the upside. And whatever you're unconscious, you're unaware of, or you're missing information or ignorant of. So every time we judge, we're dividing our awareness into half, you might say. We're polarizing and separating things instead of integrating things. And so being fully aware is the wisdom to know how to intuitively awaken the question inside the mind to ask, where is the side we're ignoring? Where's the other side? Our intuition is constantly trying to do it, but our impulses and instincts of survival make us polarize. And, you know, because if we see something that supports our values, we tend to think it's a prey. We got to accelerate that. And the reason why we accentuate why it's with a confirmation bias about its positiveness and a disconfirmation bias negatives is we need to have the adrenaline to run and catch it. And the same thing when we, when we need a confirmation bias on the negatives and a disconfirmation bias on the positives, we need to escape it. So, we automatically skew and distort and exaggerate our reality when we're in our amygdala and survival from our judgments. But when we're mindful and more objective, and we intuitively ask questions to see and become aware of all of the human being, we end up loving them. And they're not on pedestals of pitch, they're in our heart. And therefore, awareness and love are inseparable. Mm-hmm. Full awareness. And I think that's why the quality of our lives basically quite the questions we ask. If we ask questions that make us fully aware of both sides of people, they're going to end up being our heart, not in our seeking or avoiding Migla responders. So I think that, you know, we can transcend our judgments by asking quality questions and have thrival, not survival, and have objectivity, not subjectivity. So awareness is the key to self-actualized life.
1: It surely is. And I love that you said ask questions because your book goes through 13 steps to identify your highest values. And that's that's what that is. We're asking questions, we're journaling, we're taking it a step further. Uh, you're the one asking through the book, but I think that's what kind of gets people, it's almost like the journaling idea is getting them to step uh, maybe take a step out of their life for a second, step out of the day-to-day, take that reflection and be able to you know, truthfully answer some of those questions. I was curious if you were willing to, could we talk about some of those 13 questions? If, if you don't want to go through all of them, maybe just some of the major ones that you would like people to go through?
0: I'll be glad to go through all of my oh, let's I, do I love it. Those cool. questions. All right, they've let's been, do it. Let's do it. You know, when, when you're when you want to know something of value to somebody, there are value determinants. I call them value determinants. And the first value determinant, because I tried to do this as objective as I could, because I was I was very frustrated with a lot of books on values and determining values, because most people were writing down what they wished and what they fantasize about and what they mm. hoped it would be. Be and wish it would be and should be mm-hmm. and ought to be and supposed to be. I'm only interested in what their life demonstrates. That's mm-hmm. all I care about because mm-hmm. that's what's sound. So the first thing I do to determine that is I look at how they fill their space. In the study of proxemics, you have what is called intimate space, which is a foot and a half around you. You have what they call you know personal space, which is about four feet, mm-hmm. about the width of your arms, a fathom. Then you have social space, then you have what they call public space. And in the intimate and personal space, uh, you don't let things in there unless it's valuable to you. Mm. Anything that's really valuable to you comes proximal, Mm. and anything that's not valuable to you goes distal. And that's a basic principle. And you can see this in babies in a crib. You throw something in the crib, and it's valuable to the child. It will Mm. stick in its mouth and explore it and taste it and touch it and look at it and keep it next to it. And if you try to take it away, it'll cry. Mm. But if it's something you throw in there that has no value to the child, it will kick it out and push it out and, and cry until it's taken. So we automatically have a, a proxemic uh, value determinant, and that's called space. So I just start there. What do you fill your space with most, your personal and intimate space? What are the items that you keep around you most consistently that you don't, you don't walk away from? So in my case, my computer is in front of me most of the day. And uh, if I look at what is the dominant use of that, which is teaching, researching, and writing, it tells me what's valuable because I keep it with me, uh, wherever I go. If you were to imagine going for a fire or you're about to have a plane crash, what would you grab? That tells you what's valuable to you. So space is the first determinant. And the top three things that I ask to help me get the ABC, the top three values, I'm interested in that, because that's what most of our life revolves around those. Then I go into
1: time, you before, may before time we do Dr. John time. real quick, just because I filled this out, and so I think it'd be valuable to kind of put in what i what I put. I put my laptop because I'm doing a lot of my podcasts, like you said, and then um my second one was my phone. I always have my phone near me, um and then the third one was because it said, look around in your, in your personal space. And I just saw a lot of pictures of my fiance and I. So th- that was something I just wrote down. I, I'm not, not necessarily in my hand, but my house is filled with that. So those are my three things. I think if you want to, we could kind of go back and forth here. And because I filled this out, we could kind of talk about a little bit deeper, but just to give you a little bit of frame of reference, that's, that's what I wrote down. Uh, go ahead and go to number two. Sorry for cutting you off.
0: Well, no, that's great that you did it because if you look carefully at what's the dominant use of your computer, It's probably you're communicating your message and your podcast to people worldwide. Correct. And that's extremely meaningful to you. And and having, you know, guests on and sharing that with people so you can learn and you can also share what you're learning and what they're teaching to other people and to get social network, you know, to grow the network. So if you look at what's the dominant use of that computer, that tells you what you're really, what's really valuable to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, the cell phone you go, what's the dominant use of my cell phone? Is it keeping in contact with my loved ones, or is it social networking, or is it research? You know you look at what it really represents because that 's why it's there. And then the pictures, obviously you have a very inspiring and special woman in your life, and there's somebody you love looking at and keeping her pictures around you is inspiring. Some of you love and you you can't wait to see. So that could be. Because you might have a very high value on your contribution in business, your networking with people and your loved one, your special woman in your life. So that would be at least an indicator, but I don't go by one. No. You know, just like any diagnosis, no. one right. indicator doesn't give you a full diagnosis, but it's a start. So you're always looking for a pattern. Number two now is time. You find time, make time and spend time on things that are valuable to you. And you run out of time and avoid time and don't have time for things that aren't. As a general principle. So, you look at what you spend your time on. Now, I spend, on average, I could spend 14 hours to 18 hours a day teaching. <laughs> I do. So, I can lie to myself and try to pretend like it's something else, but I love teaching. And if I'm not doing that, I'm researching writing. and writing because I've delegated everything else in my life away. I don't have any respect. I haven't driven a car in 32 years. I haven't cooked in, since I was 24. I have a private chef, private cook, private you know, chauffeur, private captain, I got everything. I've, I've delegated everything out except what I do, teach research and write. I even joke with my girlfriend, I said, look, if I was to organize Hugh Jackman and Gerard Butler or Brad Pitt to make love with you on my behalf, because they're more equipped for that for me, would you still love me? My girlfriend says, I would love you even more. So, <laughs> I, I know how important delegation is you know I, i'm joking there i don't do that but but the point is that i delegate everything so i'm free to do what's really most important because you're not going to feel fulfilled if you're not doing what inspires you so the second is time and i and you make time find time and spend time on so look carefully at your 24 hours take out your sleep uh and look at what you're doing during the day and where are you spending most of your time second most and what exactly is the primary reason and some people say well yeah but i got to go to work Well, you wouldn't be going to work if it wasn't filling a value. It may not be the job. It may be financial security, and you may have a value on financial security or providing for your family or whatever. So you got to look at what exactly you're doing with that time. And if you're honest, it'll match what you're doing with your space. You'll see the same pattern because you probably spend quite a bit of your time preparing and working and interacting and doing research and, and contacting and about the podcast and who you're going to mm-hmm. podcast and who you're mm-hmm. going to go to and mm-hmm. you probably spend a lot of your time there because that's mm-hmm. important to you mm-hmm. so you look at your time and if there's not a match between space and time somewhere there's a lie because there's a pattern that will emerge if you're honest and you'll see the same thing on your time and you will look at okay i do quite a bit of time interacting and socially with people and i spend time with my girlfriend okay that pattern is going to show the third one is what energizes you? Because anytime you're doing things highest on your value, your energy is goes up and you have more energy at the at the end of it than when you started. And anytime you're doing something low in your value, you're drained. You go, whoa, what a day. Oh, tired. You're not tired when you're doing what you love. I, I mean, I do 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day. I don't, I don't, I'm for 35 years I did four hours sleep. I was cranked because I was doing what I loved and I was delegating things. And people think, well, that's insane. No, it's insane to go through your life not doing what inspires you that's insane and draining your life away and then escaping that with you know dissociative behaviors but so you look at what is it that energizes that you always have energy for and you have more energy doing it than when you started you know so i'm sure when you get on the podcast you're probably juiced up at the end and you're inspired and you're like all right absolutely Cause you're getting to, cause you're learning and you're interacting with amazing people and you're touching people's lives and you're getting thank yous coming in and you're changing lives and you're learning and all. And so, you, you know, you, you're not going to be going to sleep two seconds at You don't go <laughs> when you finish a podcast, Nope. not if it's an inspiring podcast. So whatever is, is high that energizes you is something high in your value. So you look right. carefully at that.
1: That's what and I wrote. I, I wrote again, podcasting on there. It's in there. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, because you can see you're because you're fluent when you're speaking. You're fluent, and it's natural for you. It's, you can see it. A fluency is proportion to congruency. When you see somebody doing what they really love, that's high. There's fluency in their speech and their behavior, and there's graceful movements and there's congruent body language. So I always, when I'm watching doing a podcast, I can tell when they're not really inspired and present. I mean, because their body language shows it, mm-hmm. and your your articulate fluently shows that. So you would expect that. The fourth one is money. Uh, When you get money, where is it dispersed? You find money, make money, spend money on things that are valuable to you. You run out of money for things that don't. I know a woman woman that I know that will spend money on pedicure, manicure, clothes, shoes, um, beauty care, beauty treatment, spas, everything else. And then she can't pay her her rent (laughs) and is behind on taxes because her highest value is beauty and fitness. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have an expectation that you should be able to pay these other things, you always run out of money for things that are low in your values and you always find money for things that are high. So Mm -hmm. you look at how you spend your money and probably you reinvest back in your podcast or you'll reinvest in education or anything or you reinvest in going to conferences or whatever where you can meet people. Anything that will help you in the podcast, socially network, and also time with your, your, your girlfriend will probably keep showing up. As yeah, far this, as is, this is a
1: really this is a really big one. And I'm in the I'm in the gym health and fitness space and I'm a coach at a gym. And sometimes I'll hear sometimes from people when I tell them the price of the membership is oh that you know that's really expensive. And it's really, you know, it is expensive. I and mean, I don't want to devalue it, but I'm not I'm not trying to devalue the price. It is expensive. However, the things that you're spending your money on aren't aligning with what you're what you want. And there's a there's a there's a common disconnect with that with that health and fitness thing. I can't imagine spending $185 on a gym membership, but I could do or go out to eat every Friday night and have drinks and that that bill goes up to 50 or 60 per night, you know, so it's a different uh, to me they're just not valuing what I can give to them.
0: Well, the thing is is if a person doesn't value fitness, they won't spend money on it. They'll, but they'll spend a $1000 a month on on wine. <laughs> I've seen it. And uh, so, you know, and, and they're not wrong. There's nobody right or wrong. The whole world is needed. All the values are needed in the world. There's no one right set of values. But in my, my model of the world, I want to assist people in helping them master all areas and empower all. So I try to teach them how that can be done so they can actually engage in fitness because they've made a connection between doing the actions in fitness to help them get what is important. Whether it be finding a relationship or building a business, because they can be linked, and so I—that's I, my skill, and that's what the book is partly about. So I look at how they spend their money, and those four—the space, the time, the energy, the money—I call it the STEM. That gives you already a great indication of what's their values. It will be—it'll be pointing very clearly. There'll be a pattern. The fifth one is where they most organize and ordered. So I have no doubt that you're—you got your. Your stuff together when it comes to putting a podcast. You, you probably study in advance, you're prepared, you got your notes, you got your things organized. Your root fitness routine is probably down to exactly what you, you know how to do, whatever it is on whatever muscle. Anything that's really, really valuable to you, you have order and organization around. But there's probably areas of your life you just don't get around to and it's chaos and it's things like that. Cooking, driving, anything, anything to do with anything other than teach, research, and write, I delegate. Because anytime you're doing something that's low on your value, devalue yourself. Anytime you're doing something high on your value, you value yourself. And if you want to value yourself, you're not going to get the world to value unless you value So So it's prioritization. That's why it's so important to live by priority to you, whatever is meaningful to you, not somebody else, but to you. So where is your most order and organization? And I have no doubt that your fitness routine will be organized, your podcast will be organized, and probably... Uh, your learning around those topics will probably be highly organized. You'll, yeah, my no, you'll probably my number
1: got... One, oh, sorry. Yeah, my number one was my daily routine. After that, I said my closet. For some reason, my closet's very uh, uh, um, organized. And then my sleep schedule is very organized. I always go to bed and wake up at the same time. So those are my three... Well, because you probably have
0: that as a fitness. You exactly. probably, because
1: it's connected to fitness.
0: Exactly. It's connected to fitness and performance and high performance and high fitness... And, and achievement is is one of the reasons your podcast is there. It's, Absolutely. Probably, it's probably what's there. So then the next one is, where are you most disciplined and reliable and focused? You know, you can count on me to be teaching. You know, uh, you can count on me to be teaching some someday, someday some part of the day, I'm going to mm-hmm. be doing podcasts. I'm going to be doing writing articles. I write for 1,500 magazines around the world. So wow. I, I'm going to be writing. I'm going to be teaching somewhere in a podcast or a seminar. Every single day. Seven days a week, I do that pretty well. People think, well, that's crazy. No, it isn't. If this is what you love. It's only crazy to somebody that has a different set of values and go, I couldn't do that. Mm. You know, and they want to go, well, what do you do for fun? That. Well, that's not fun to me. I couldn't imagine myself doing that. Mm -hmm. You gotta be see, many people are worried about what other people think, but they have a different set of values and they're not wrong. They just have a different set of values. And I don't live by their shoulds, I live by my my dreams. I found that and do it in a way that serves people. So you look at where you're most disciplined and reliable. So I guarantee you, you're disciplined when it comes to fitness. You're disciplined when it comes to your podcast. You're disciplined when it comes to preparing for it. You're disciplined about making sure you look the part of a fit, you know, vitally healthy guy. I'm sure, and you're probably there for your your girlfriend when it comes to, uh, you know walking with a trophy that you got. I'm sure she's got to be beautiful or you wouldn't wouldn't be with her.
1: So yeah. So (laughs) those those are are my, those are my, you got it. Yep. Uh, those are exactly, those are exactly it. Yep.
0: Yeah. So you're, you, there's no doubt that those are, your life is going to demonstrate what's valuable to you. And so to expect anything else, anytime you expect yourself to live in somebody else's values, you're going to self-defeat just honor who you are. The next one is, what do you think about, about how you would love your life to look? That shows evidence of coming true. <clears throat> so you can, you and your mind are thinking about fitness and thinking about your podcast. It's running through your mind throughout the damn sure. And what are you thinking about? About how you would love your life? So if you don't put in how you would love your life, people can say, "Well, I think about uh, my bills. I think about you know my, my debt." Mm-hmm. No, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking what are you thinking about? About how you would love your life to be that is showing evidence. If there's no evidence and it's not what you love to do, that's not what I'm asking for. It's got to be what you think about, about how you would love your life that shows evidence coming true. That's your frontal cortex and parietal cortex. That's I'm interested in that area of the brain. Then I go to the next one. What are you visualizing about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? That's the occipital cortex. And then I ask, what are you internally dialoguing with yourself about, about how you would love your life that shows evidence coming true? And that's your temporal cortex and i'm looking for an integration and a some synonym in those answers between the whole brain because when you're living by your whole whole your highest values you have a gestalt brain and all the parts of the brain start to working congruently towards an objective so those are the next three so we had six three that's nine number 10 now is what do you in social settings Keep wanting to bring the conversation to, and wanting to engage in a conversation about. It. And I'm sure your yeah. fitness and podcast yeah. will be absolutely off the bonkers. Yeah. If they, if I tried to get you to talk about cupcake uh, yeah. um, uh, recipes, you'd be falling asleep in seconds. Yeah. But if I start talking about fitness routines and how do you keep so fit, and tell me about the podcast you're doing, you'll come alive. Yep. Right. So so you look at what do you want to converse about because people come up to you and say, How's your investments or how's your business or how's your fitness or how's your, your company coming or you know, how's your health? Whatever they want to talk about is what's valuable to them because they keep wanting to lead the conversation there. So I look at where do you want to lead the conversation where do you engage in conversation extrovertedly? Mm-hmm. And that tells me where again, values are there. And That's it'll show up now, and these will all show the same thing if we're honest. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is, what is it that inspires you and brings tears of gratitude to your eyes? And what's common to the people who have done it? So you probably have some people that you had looked up to in the podcast world of fitness, people that have done extraordinary things in fitness throughout the decades that you go, wow, whatever they do, I'm going to do that. And I want to stand on their shoulders and I want to interview those people. And and sometimes you'll get a tear of gratitude. I want to know when you get a tear of gratitude and what's the dominant you know, thing that you're actually in your mind at that moment. And that's an indication of authenticity. Tear gratitude is a, a moment you're authentic and you're congruent with what you value most. And you'll see that. And, I, and mine has been the great teachers and the great philosophers and the Nobel Prize winners, all the great thinkers in the world. When I read their work, I get tears in my eyes. When I get to present information that stands at the time, I get tears in my eyes. So those are indicators of what's really valuable you. And The next one is, what are the three most consistent, persistent goals that you have that you haven't let yourself down on that you keep persevering and you're achieving them? The three most significant goals. Because you, you can see it in your mind's eye, and you won't stop until it's done. You just keep doing it. If you have a setback, you'll see it as a, you'll see it as a feedback. You, 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 there's no failure in your highest value. There's no such thing as failure in the highest value. It's only feedback. Mm. In your lower values, if something doesn't get worked out, it was a fantasy, and it wasn't really important, and you'll give up on it. You'll call, "Oh, I failed at that." No, you didn't. You ruled out something that's not authentically high on your values, and you're now going back to what is valuable, and that's all. It's just a feedback. There's no failure in the world. It's just feedback. So when you see it that way, you you act and you don't stop, and you just keep persevering and doing it. And the last one is, what do you spontaneously want to learn about? Because whatever you want to learn about is valuable to. You. So you've probably devoured the fitness world. You've probably devoured the podcast and personal development field. Absolutely. And they probably devoured uh, every beautiful woman that's on the planet to narrow down who you're going to be with. I'm joking on that one. But you probably looked at a lot of pretty girls to find <laughs> that one. There's my baby. There's my girl. But, but, um, but you, you will spontaneously want to learn. And that's why I can tell right now, you're taking notes as we go along. You're participating in, in, in thinking about things. I can see it in the face. And so this, is, this topic is important to you. And so whatever is important to you, you want to you absorb. You'll watch it on YouTube. You'll read about it. You'll take notes. You'll listen to a lecture on it. You'll absorb it. If you're engaged in a conversation or talking about that, you're right in it. If somebody's sitting at a restaurant and they start talking about it, you want to listen in, mm-hmm. that's the sign that it's high in your values. Now, once you answer all 13 of those questions, there will be an obvious pattern if you're honest. And when you get that, you find out which one of those answers repeatedly showed up most, second most, third most, and go down, and you'll end up with a hierarchy of values. And you'll know where your order and your disorder is, and you'll know where you can be reliable and where you're not, procrastinate, and you'll see the pattern. You'll now know how I can structure my life. And then you want to delegate all lower-priority things and prioritize and stick to the things that highest. and you self-worth, and you build momentum, incremental momentum, you grow, you're you expand your space and time horizons, you end up achieving, you end up a leader, you end up uh, in the executive function with discipline and exemplification, you win. This is so simple, but many people don't take the time to apply it. That's what the book is about.
1: I think a lot of people don't take the time to apply it, but I, and then I also would add to, um, I think a lot of people live other people's values. You talked about this, in the book extensively, you touched on it a little bit before the quote I love from the book is our lives. Don't lie where we spend our time, money, and devote our thoughts is our guide to determine what our values are. The concept of a living hell is one which you live in opposite to your values. So living other people's values. I'm imagining somebody who's living their parents' values because they feel like that's what they're supposed to be doing. And they go through this exercise and they realize, wow, what's really valuable to me is very different from either what society tells me or my parents tell me. What do you tell somebody after that who goes through it? And I'm sure you've had many, many circ- uh, situations like this where they go through and they go, holy shit, this is not what I was expecting it to be. What do I do now?
0: <laughs> well, I get that every week in my, when <laughs> I teach the
1: my program,
0: the Breakthrough Experience, and introduce this to <clears> them. <throat> uh, anytime you hear yourself internally dialoguing with imperatives, I got to. I got to do this. I have to do this. I must do this. Mm -hmm. I should do this. I'm supposed to do this. I ought to do this. I need to do this. You can guarantee that's extrinsically sourced. That has nothing to do with you because you don't should yourself. I had a debate with a Yale professor about it, and I finally won the debate, but it took a while because he was projecting his values onto somebody else and expecting others to live in his values, and he was thinking that that's what you should do because he was right but that's not how it works. But when people say that, they automatically are injecting the values of other authorities in their life. That could be mother, father, preacher, teacher, convention, tradition, mores, or whatever from individuals or community, city, states, nation, world, whoever you give power to, whoever you subordinate to. And Freud called this the superego The superego is the internalization of an outer authority's values inside our consciousness, whispering and creating a sort of a masochistic attack on ourselves and judging ourselves when we're not living according to that way. And you never make a mistake in your own values. You only think you made a mistake when you're comparing your actions to somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And you never, never have other people don't make mistakes in their values. They only make a mistake in your eyes when you project your values onto them and expect them to live in your values. And this is the big illusion that people are stuck in. So anytime you say you should, you ought to, you got to, you have to, you're projecting self righteous your values onto others, which is futile. It doesn't work. Anybody who's been in marriage knows that doesn't work. And anytime you go, I should, you're trying to be somebody you're not. So envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. We're not here to live in their shadows. We're here to stand on their shoulders and realize that whatever we see in them, we have in us, in our own value system, nothing's missing in us. We're just not honoring it. I always say at the level of the soul, the state of unconditional love, the authentic self that's really graced, nothing's missing in us because we're not judging. But the second we start to judge and put people on pedestals of pits, we have disowned parts and we have things missing. Because if we look up to people, we're too humble to admit what we see in them inside us. If we're looking down on people, we're too proud to admit what we see in them inside us. And when we don't see those inside us, those are disowned parts. And those disowned parts are voids that drive us to have Value to fulfill those to teach us to love, not judge, to teach us to live authentically instead of under these polarities of trying to get others to live like us or uh, us to
1: live like others. And that's where we get trapped and that's where we disempower our lives. I love that. That's gold. And because I, I think there's also times when we're in the health and fitness space. And so what happens is sometimes, uh, you know, uh, me and my friends will say we really value fitness and we work out a lot. We're at the gym a lot because right. we, uh, find value in it. It's something that fulfills us. There's a lot of people out there, Dr. John, who would look at us like, you are crazy. You spend way too much time at the gym. I don't know why you're so obsessed with the gym, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's interesting too, because it's not my fault or it's not a bad thing, but I see it very much different a lot of other people see the gym. A lot of people see the gym as I have to go. I'm punching in my time clock. I'm going to be there the most minimal amount of time I can because it's uncomfortable where I'm the exact opposite. I want to be there as much as I can. Talk to me about how does that, how does that work when somebody's values are maybe a little bit, I don't know, different than most people's. Okay. So let me, let me use a fun one. Uh, so this woman
0: came to me in my breakthrough experience program my signature program. And she says, my husband's an alcoholic. And I said, "Okay." And whenever I hear somebody say that, I always see a label being projected. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Because, uh, because what that means is when he drinks, he does things that challenge your values, so you project a label on him to try to get him to change. And he does it more than you." I said, "Well, you do you drink?" He says, "Well, I have a glass of wine occasionally." So you drink, but not as much as him. Correct. So anytime somebody drinks more than you do and does behaviors that challenges you when they drink, you then put a, project a label. But his buddy who drinks the same amount and is enjoying his company will never label him an alcoholic, right. label him a buddy. <laughs> so if somebody is, uh, now let's say that you have a wife and she's, her highest value is her children. And she wants you to be there with the children 20 hours a day or something, you know, like she's doing. Mm-hmm. And she sees you going to the gym. And she sees it now, what it's doing is it's now challenging what I value. You're not here with the kids and you do it more than I do. So anytime you do something more than I do, and you do it in a way that brings more challenge than support to my values, I project a label on you to try to justify getting you to be more like the way I want you to be. And this is what people are trapped in. They're worried about people's labels and they buy into it. And instead of realizing that I love working out, <laughs> you love playing with the kids, mm-hmm. you love working, you love building wealth. I got a guy here that I'm, that's a friend of mine that's a very wealthy billionaire. And he basically, his highest value is how does he serve vast numbers of people and make fortunes and employ as many people as he can in the world? <laughs> and he's obsessed with it. And when we talk, I, I, don't have to, I don't even have to question what, we're, what the conversation's gonna go to. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where it's headed what's going on in the company, how many people he's employing and how much money it's making and how much and how he can do this and how many tax dollars he's able to give to the government. I mean, this is this is his thing. Now, somebody with a completely different set of values says he's obsessed. Yes. No, he's a man on a mission. Please mm-hmm. notice that everybody's highest value is their mission. Mm-hmm. And an individual who's congruent and aligned with that will look obsessed to anybody that has quite different values but will become a leader to anybody that has similar values. So anybody that has similar values to you, they'll be looking up to you and go, God, he's so disciplined, he's mm-hmm. so reliable, he's so mm-hmm. focused, he's so amazing. And somebody that has a completely different set of values, he'll say, he's pigheaded, he's stubborn, he's addicted, he's this. And there are two different values labeling the same behavior. That's why I've owned all the traits. Because I know when somebody comes up to me, I had this lady, she says, oh, Dr. DiMartini, you're a terrible father. And I said, how come? And she says, well, you hardly see your kids. I said, why would you want a terrible father seeing his kids? <laughs> and she said, oh, you have an answer for everything. I said, well, I'm a teacher. That's my job. And she said, oh, you're an asshole. I said, well, thank God. Otherwise, I'll be full of crap. You know, I, I, I just had fun with it because people project their values and try to get you into their little box. And I go, that's my job is to communicate what I do in terms of other people's values, but not subordinate to their values. There's a difference. To serve people in their values, but not subordinate to their values.
1: Yeah. So you've worked with. Probably millions of people at this point now, and this is a little bit of a devil's advocate kind of question because I realize that everybody has their own set of values, and everybody's supposed to be different, and they are different. But I'm curious if, after talking and working with some of the you know highest achievers in the world, have you seen any? I, I love I love asking pattern question. Have you seen any patterns in values from some of the highest achievers, or anything that is consistent across the board that you could share with us, or is it truly everybody is very different?
0: Well, there is a uniqueness in everybody's values. There's patterns and similarities because we always have similars and differences in the value structure. And the summation of all values on the planet cancel each other. So there's always an anti-person out there, sure, sure. an anti-person, sure. a pro-life or a pro-aborder, yeah, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. Yeah. There's always a pair of opposites. You know, so the, the purpose of marriage is finding somebody that's got an opposite set of values so you can delegate low-priority crap to them and they can de- delegate low-priority crap to you and you both are inspired by being together. and when they talk to you at night, because it's boring, they put you to sleep, so you will sleep well. That's the purpose of marriage. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> but, but there is a, there is a pattern to achievement, but it's not because of a set of values. It's because a person who's achieving in sports has a different set of values than a person achieving in academics and a person achieving in business and a person achieving in wealth and a person achieving in social and spiritual dimensions. And so, I, but what I found is the degree of congruency that's where high achievement is you know when you when you think of bruce lee uh, his congruency level was pretty high and if and i i meet people that are extremely high I, I, there's a gentleman here who has 4000 patents 4300 patents he's about five, worth about 5 billion dollars a really brilliant guy extremely brilliant guy credible mind and he's extremely congruent in that area but not in other areas i'm a, a, a very congruent in my teaching but if, if you said, well, John, do you work out seven days a week? And I go, no, nope. but I do a workout every week, a good workout every week, but mm-hmm. not seven days a week. But if I look at what uh, is lower on my values, you can't rely on me to do that, but you can rely on me to be doing what's highest. And that's where I'll achieve. So one thing that I've found in all achievers is greater degrees of congruency. That's it.
1: That's it, right? That's simple.
0: Yeah, it's just simple because, you know, people say if you have to force yourself to do something and it's, i, I got to discipline myself, i got to force myself to do it, you're not going to be the greatest achiever in that area. Yeah. When, you, when somebody's doing something, I, I have a good example. i got to show this. So I'm doing the Breakthrough Experience, my signature program that I've done 1,140 times, and this lady was there with her coach, and she has a couple gold medals, and she's a pole vaulter, and she is an amazing pole vaulter. And I thought, okay, this is an opportunity to show how values apply. Because she's a gold medalist, she's a leader in her field. Da, da, da. Her coach is there, and he's a top coach, right? And so I said, I got to use their example. So I said, all right, come up the front of the room. Okay, let's look at your space, and let's look at where do you spend most of your space. She says, well, I've got a workout gym in my own home, and I've got a my room where I where I live. I said, and let's look at what that space says. Let's videotape that and take a look at what it is. There's nothing but pole vaulting. There's pole vaults, pole vaulting, you know, poles all over. There's video uh, clips of pole vaulters. There's pictures of pole vaulters. There's awards of pole vaulting. I mean, the, the, her space is pole vaulting. How do you spend your time? Minimum five hours, usually up to eight hours a day practicing in some capacity, mentally, physically, reading, something to do with pole vaulting. What do you, what, what energize you? Pole vaulting. Do where does all your money go? Pole vaulting, you know? I mean, I'm a pole vaulter. You know, what exactly, what are you most disciplined? Pole vaulting, where are you most organized? Pole vaulting, what do you think about? Visualize a firm, pole vaulting. What do you talk to people about? Pole vaulting. Where's your, uh, where's your inspiration? Seeing people do extraordinary pole vaulting. And when I get amazing accomplishment, pole vaulting. What is, you know, what is your major goal? To be gold medalist pole vaulter. What do you read and study and learn about? Pole vaulting. And I said, there's a congruent person, gold medalist. And I showed it to everybody and people just went,
1: ah, Mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Dr. John, are, are values different than passions?
0: Yes. I'm glad you asked that question. The word passion has been misconstrued since 1985 when the Passion for Excellent book came out and the language and vernacular changed. The actual word passion, if you look at its etymology... It's Latin roots, etc. It comes from pati and passio, which means to suffer. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is. We go around and say, What's your passion? Get your passion, be passionate, everything else. Well, all that means is to suffer. And the seven deadly sins of Christianity were the passions of Christ, Mm -hmm. right? Gluttony and sloth and you know and greed and and lust and things. So the passions are the amygdala's response to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Those are called the passions. And they're ungoverned, uncontrolled behaviors that eventually lead to suffering. And then there's an inspired mission. When you live by your highest value, you awaken an inspired mission. And many people are confusing those languages just in language. And they're confusing what an inspired mission is versus a passion. Because a passion means you're living by lower values and you're looking for immediate gratification to compensate as escape from an unfulfilled state. But a true mission is an inspired mission that's disciplined, reliable, and focused that wakes up gratitude for what you do, love for what you do, inspiration doing it, enthusiasm doing it, and you're actually certain when you're doing it because you master it and you're present. Those are all transcendental states that let you know you're on a mission, which is your highest value, and your passion is your lower values. So the lower you're living in values, the more passionate you become and the more immediate gratifying you become. The more inspired you are by your highest value, the more longer-term vision, and you don't let anything stop you. You see everything on the way, not in the way. So there's a difference between passion and mission, but many people are confusing them. So they're using the word passion for what is a mission. And so I just clarify it for my students, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong in what they're describing. It's just that the word is not the most etymologically sound word for what they're describing.
1: So I find myself very fortunate. I I went through those 13 questions and I feel very aligned afterwards. And I feel like, my actions are in, in, this, in alignment with my goals and my values. I feel very aligned, especially getting it into um, writing. I'm curious for the person who maybe isn't as much in alignment, Dr. John, they fill it out, and maybe their values are things that, I don't know what they could be perhaps, but maybe they look at that and their first response is, well, that's not going to pay the bills. I'm not going to be able to pay the bills by doing these these values. I I, I still have to go to work every day, Dr. John. How do you cultivate? Because I think you would agree that in order to be more, more fulfilling and live that life to your fullest, it's got to be most of your time. And if most of your time is eight hours at a desk that you don't care about, we're kind of just spinning wheels here. So when somebody says that to you, I'm sure they have, this doesn't pay the bills. What is your response?
0: Well, there's two, two or three answers I can give to them. Yeah, I always say that either go do what you love through delegating and find out what is in that job that you do love to do and delegate the rest of it so you can be inspired by it. Or go love what you do through linking. Find out how the job description you have is helping you fulfill your highest values. Or give yourself permission to ask a new strategic plan. What is it I would really love to do? How do I get hands paid to do it? What are the highest priority actions I can do today to make it happen? What obstacles might I run into? How do I solve in advance? What worked, what didn't work today? How do I do it more effectively tomorrow uh, than I did? And how, no matter what happened today, how did it help me get one step closer to the fulfillment of that? So I'm a firm believer you can make a fortune out of doing what you love. And uh, I have a story that it's a a mind mind blower if you you want me to share it. I don't
1: know. I love it. I love stories, go for it.
0: Uh, Okay, You're, you're, you're you're gonna get a kick out of this one. So I'm teaching the Breakthrough Experience in New York many years ago. And I got a 29-year-old girl named Karen sitting in the front row. And I asked her and hit her with the seven questions I just mentioned. I said, Karen, what is it you absolutely love doing that you spontaneously do every single day that nobody has to remind you to do that you just love doing? And she kind of went, she thought and she goes, "Uh, spend time with my dog. I love my dog. I spend time with my dog every day. Uh, Eli, my little chihuahua is what I love doing. Fantastic, write that down. That's the first question. Then I asked her, okay, now, Karen, how can you get handsomely and beautifully paid to do that? And she would have this facial expression like, she went blank.
1: Yeah.
0: I said, how can you get handsomely and beautifully paid to do that, Karen, come on? I have no idea. I said, I'm asking the question, hold yourself accountable. Because if you don't hold yourself accountable, you're going to have a Monday morning blue a Wednesday hump day a thank God it's Friday and a week freaking end all your life because you're gonna have a schizophrenic life because your vocation and vacation are separated. What is it you would absolutely love to do if I spend time with your dog? How do you get handsome you paid to do it? She goes. She finally came up and she says, He's really cute. People like to take a picture. I could maybe charge for the picture. I said, Great. Okay, great. Now, what are the highest priority actions you could do right now to move that, make that happen? What action steps? We sat down, and we wrote seven action steps. And she thought about I could. Make sure the dog looks good and make sure he's presentable. And when it, and when people ask me for a picture, instead of just letting them do it, I charge for it, and um, and I get a card with my name. I'm his agent and make him into a, a you know model or something. And she started getting creative. And I said, great. And what what obstacles might you run into and have them solve them? Well, they could say I don't want to pay for it. And okay, you got you, you haven't lost anything because you know you they're not going to pay anyway. So mm-hmm. and we started handling the obstacles. So anyway she walks out of the seminar on Sunday evening this is a Sunday afternoon a Sunday evening she did and this is all running in her head and I told her to read those seven questions and put them on a mirror in the bathroom every morning and read those questions and start pursuing that because that way your vocation vacation becomes the same so that next day on Monday she walked to Central Park because she lived you know near Central Park she walks to Central Park brings her dog, they walk down to the fountain near the little lake where the boathouse is, boat is from the Philosopher's Avenue. And when she does that, somebody comes up and asks for a picture. Now, this is before Apple phones. This is when you actually had little pictures. And, he, and, and she's never said it in her life, oh, that would be $5. And somebody paid her five bucks. And she got $5. And when she was walking home that day, she goes, you know, you, pay, you paid for your food today. Not bad, <laughs> but, but she got every time you take an action step in the direction of something that's meaningful to you, creativity begins. And so she got home that night after she walked the dog. She got on the floor in the closet and rummaged through a bunch of boxes that had uh, sewing material and elastic pa- uh, uh, fabric and all kind of stuff. And she got creative and she found this red elastic material and she cut it out she sewed it together into a tube where it would go right between his arms and his legs. So she had a, a red jacket kind of thing, a red tube on. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up getting some black elastic strip and tied it on two ends to some sunglasses because she thought if I have him walking with sunglasses with red on, everybody people will know him. And then if I practice walking him up on his hind legs as we walk by the, the boathouse, you know, the fountain, more likely people take pictures. So she did that, she trained him on his legs a bit more, she put on the tube, she walked him in the thing, put the sunglasses on, because everybody wanted to get a picture of the sunglass red thing on on this little chihuahua. Well, she got three, she made 15 bucks that day. So she goes back and she goes, this is getting creative, and she had some skills in sewing. So she started sewing different outfits, and she started getting theme oriented, and, um, and all of a sudden she's now putting outfits according to what's going on in the environment. So if it's Thanksgiving, she puts a, a different outfit. If mm-hmm. it's uh, you know holidays, she gets a different outfit. Well, this thing started to escalate. She got cards made, she started to become his agent. She started to have him walk differently. The sunglasses, the outfit, she got a, a Hugh Hefner gown, you know, a robe. So he's walking around with Hugh Hefner with sunglasses and everything else. Now they're flooding to get pictures with him. They want pictures. Uh, 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 it's five bucks. I'm his agent. He's famous, and she just had some fun. This thing went up to 125 dollars every time she walked in there. About 125 bucks she was making. Oh my gosh! Now she's going back. She says, "This guy's making me 125 dollars walking my dog. I'm getting this is better than a husband. I don't get any bitching. I don't get any yells. I got an unconditional lover and I'm making cash out of this dude." So one day, one day she's sitting there and cleaning up. And there's a guy, you know, sitting there watching on a bench. And he's, I think he just ate a sandwich or something. And he's just sitting there watching it. And he looks over and he sees her cleaning up going, this is brilliant. So she walks over to him. He walks over to her. And he says, you know, here's my card. I'm um, involved in marketing. And um, I think I could possibly, I'd like to talk to you. I think I could use your dog as a mascot in a commercial. And she's like going, cool, cool. Well, I'm his agent. Here's my card. Contact us and we'll see what he has available in his schedule. Wow. So so the guy meets with her and he's representing Milk Bone Dog Biscuit.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) And they ask him, ask her if they can make him the mascot for Milk Bone Dog Biscuit with a upfront royalty plus a continued royalty, which ended up being 2.2 million friggin' dollars.
1: Get out of here.
0: Off that. 2.2 million. Look it up on, her name is Karen Beal. If you look it up, Karen Beal and her little uh, dog's name is Eli. So she she ended up getting that deal. Now, two more deals came in after that because he got famous. So now she's got major wardrobes done with his own insignia on it. I mean, he's got his own bathrobe. He's got his own tux. He's got his own... He's got a Pope outfit. He's got, I mean, she started getting wild with this. He ended up getting asked to go to the Globe Awards, the Academy Awards, everything else. The, the, the celebrities were wanting pictures with him on the, oh, on the red gosh. carpet. I mean, he became, he and Gidget from the Taco Bell Dog became one of the biggest dogs in, you know, in New York and Hollywood. She ended up getting then three TV shows, mommies and doggies. You can look <laughs> it up, mommies and doggies. And her name is Karen Beale. So she had three TV shows. She got these, these commercials. In his name, they actually got a penthouse in, uh, in, uh, in New York. I mean, they did a video of him walking around, showing off his penthouse like he was a stud of some form and had a blast. And what's interesting, is he died eight years after this started. That dog died. She got another dog that looked identical, kept it going for another 10 years or so. That dog died. She had another one. So she kept this dog alive for 21 years wow. doing this thing. Wow. And about six and a half years ago, she came to me. On an email, sent me an email because I've been communicating with her every quarter. Because she was doing, I've got pictures of her and me, and and she's got pictures of celebrities. It's amazing. You look online, and her name is Karen Beal, B I E H L. And so, what's interesting is uh, she sent me a letter. She says, "I'm just letting you know that I'm retiring, Eli." Mm. And I and I thought to myself, "Oh, she's stopping." She says, "I have a net worth of over fifty, no, twenty-five million dollars as a result of this." I haven't had a boyfriend during this time, I didn't need one, Mm -hmm. because when you got a man making you money and it's an (laughs) unconditional loving dog and he's sleeping with you at night, this is the best deal you got. But I met a man and as a result of it, I'm now going to retire Eli and I'm just gonna do my philanthropic work now. So she turned that into 25 million net. So that meant in order to get a net of 25 million, she had to have earned 100 million probably to get that out of that dog. So when somebody tells me, I don't know what I would love to do and I can't do it and everything else. I go, uh-huh. I said, let's ask a new set of questions. The quality of your life is basically a quality of the questions asked and your awareness level. If you're not aware of the potential you have sitting in front of you doing something you love to do, you'll live a quiet life of desperation, not a life of inspiration.
1: What a phenomenal story. I can't wait to look into that. That's so cool. Uh, As we close down, something I like to ask authors specifically that have had books that have been out for a while is, so this book came out in 2013, we're coming up on 10 years already on it. I'm curious if you were to add something to the book or write a volume two, what would be something that you'd want to add to it now that it's been out for 10 years? Is there something that you're like, man, I wish I could put this back in there if it was 10 years ago? Is there something that comes to your mind?
0: Well, I don't. I don't look back with regrets. I don't find those productive. I just look back. Oh, I can always update the book anytime. Uh, but yeah, there's a few wordings and a few uh, uh, maybe additional things that I've learned over the years that I could put in there. But I can also just do a sequel anytime I want. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's that. I don't have a. I don't look back and go, oh, I wish I'd have done. I don't live like that. Totally. I just go. Well, I think it's time for me to go and update it and put some new material in it as I've learned more. But I think that. Uh, yeah, I think it worked. I, I'm grateful. I think the book serves people. I've got thousands of people that did, you know, send me thank yous and everything's for the book. So I've just got a French publisher. The French publisher's now put in French today, just came in today. Wow. So I, 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 wow. I, I'm i grateful. I don't have any, uh, I don't look back at my life. I would say anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. Why carry around baggage? Hmm. Why not delegate the baggage to other people? Let them take care of that. I'll, I'll, uh, I drop off my my, uh, my, my baggage at baggage claim, and I go in and
1: and carry my computer so I can research, teach, and write. Very cool. So the values factor—you guys can get that anywhere. I think another piece too that we didn't really touch on that is important though is the idea that the values, or sorry, the values really evolve throughout our lifetimes, don't they? Um, it can be, you know, a year at a time. It could be even less. But as responsibilities change, and I'm just kind of talking about my experience, the values change as well. So this has got to be something that. It can't just be a one-and-done thing, would you agree?
0: Well, yeah. Well, now, some people, there's a, there's two types of changes to values. One is a gradual hypothesis. One is a, what they call a punctate cataclysmic hypothesis. The gradual hypothesis is if you're living very congruently, you make slow incremental changes mm-hmm. in adapting to the environment, and there's a slow gradual tweaking according to need. If you're not living by highest values, you end up with cataclysmic events in your life to wake you up, to get you back on track with what is truly authentic. And then you have a big change to get you on track. It's called hitting bottom in a sense. Yeah. So the cataclysmic one is usually people that have been trying to live in other people's values and get smacked pretty hard. But yeah, your values are changing. When I was a young boy, baseball was important to me from age three to about age 13. And surfing started at nine and overlapped that. Surfing became big until I was about 18. Eighteen teaching became it. I, I I learned I could overcome my learning problems and I became a teacher. And I'm hoping at 100 international sex symbol will be next. That's my 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 hope is that'll be the 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 last one. From 100 to 120 will be international sex symbol. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, there's no evidence of that yet. But that's just the fantasy. I'm joking about that. No, I'll probably teach until I die because that's <laughs> that's probably my
1: destiny. Now. It's in your values. Uh, one last thing before I let you go here. We, you you quickly went over the seven questions and you ripped them off really fast. Could you just go through them really slowly here so the the listeners can write those down? The seven questions that you talked about earlier.
0: What is it I would absolutely love to do in life? What is it I would absolutely love to do in life? If I knew I couldn't fail, what would I absolutely love to do? Because me, it's teaching. I, 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 that's the highest. Uh, number two. How do I get handsomely and beautifully paid? How do I make millions doing what I love? I've helped thousands of people do that. And the people never even imagine they can make fortunes out of doing what they love. But I've yet to see something you love that can't be made into a fortune. I mean, it doesn't matter. You tell me what it is, I can show you a way of doing it. The third one is what are the highest priority action steps I can do today to move in the direction of that fulfillment of getting paid handsomely to do what I love? The fourth one is a foresight. How, what obstacles might I run into, and how do I solve them in advance? People's reactions, not knowing what to do, not having the skills. Because you can always hire people to help you with the skills. You just surround yourself with people that are experts and stuff. But how? What obstacles might you run into, and how do you solve them in advance? The next one is what worked and what didn't work today. You go and look at what actually did. Did you get closer? Did you not? What, What worked today? You want to know what worked and what didn't work and keep an inventory of both of them. So that way you make a checklist. And then the next one is, how do I do it more effectively and efficiently tomorrow? You want to refine and become more efficient at doing it. How do I do it even more effectively? Is there a technology I can get to make it more effectively? Can I surround myself with different people to make it more effectively? Can I prioritize my wording and my language? Is there a higher priority action I can do? How do I do it more effectively tomorrow? And the last one is, how did whatever happened today, no matter what happened to me today, how did it help me get this one step closer to this objective? That way, everything is on the way and there's nothing in the way, and there's no victim of history. There's only a mastery of destiny.
1: Very cool. I could see those as being seven really great journal questions every day while you're on the, the warpath. Every day.
0: Every day. You, I, put them, I say, put them on your mirror, read them there when you're sitting on the can, read them and then start applying them and watch what happens. Well,
1: uh, Dr. John, this is awesome, man. I'm feeling energized talking to you. Uh, the book is phenomenal. Um, uh, tell me, uh, tell the listeners if they want to either get the book, follow you, keep up with your stuff. Where can I point them?
0: All they have to do is go to drdemartini.com. D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Dr. Demartini.com. On there, you could, there's just such a vast amount of educational information there for people. They could go on there and watch YouTube videos, education, media. I've done thousands and thousands of media interviews and stuff. It's all there. You could spend the rest of your life. You're going to have to believe in, in a Buddhist reincarnation to be able to keep an eye on it because you're going to take you more than one life to get through it all. But there's an educational video of tons of them, written articles, thousands of articles. It's all there for you if you want to go and educate yourself. Anything to do with mastering of life, anything to do with doing something extraordinary with your life, anything to do with mastering your awareness and potential it's it's there. So I, all I can say is that's, you, you, you know, you can follow me and see where I'm doing live seminars, live this, whatever you want, buy products, whatever you want to do, or just follow it on YouTube. It's there for you. Dr.
1: Fantastic, man. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for this conversation. There's so much value. Uh, thank you again for taking the time. And guys, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with one friend that could really use uh, a little bit of a, maybe even a gut check on what their values are and if they're living according to their values. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode. Yes. And and also,
0: also, have them go and do the value determination on the website. It's free. It's private. Have them go there. Go to determine your values on the website. That'll be worth their time. I promise you.
1: Awesome. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.